from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Before our worship begins, I'd like to share with all of our members and friends a little bit about our financial situation. Regrettably, our projection for year-end reveals a deficit of $420,000 on our $5.7 million budget. While we've worked diligently to manage our resources and expenses, giving in 2022 and 2023 have fallen below expectations. I assure you that our trustees, session, and financial team have thoroughly explored all options to mitigate this situation. If we are unable to bridge this financial gap, difficult decisions will need to be made. This could include budget cuts, which might impact various aspects of our ministry, including a potential reduction in personnel for the year 2024. However, we believe that as a community bound by faith and shared values, we have the ability to overcome this challenge. And so I call upon each member and friend of First Pres to consider how you might be able to contribute to our financial strength. If you've already given in 2023 and have the capacity to go the second mile, please give more. If you've not given in 2023, please give today. You can mail a check, give by credit card, uh, give by stock transfer, or use the QR code that will be on the screen in just a few moments. Our congregation has had a successful capital campaign, securing pledges of over $36 million. Our ministries with children and youth are bursting at the seams. Our worship attendance, both online and in person, are strong. Our community ministries continue to serve our most vulnerable neighbors and friends with compassion and great care. Our staff is strong, gifted, and committed to serving the mission of the church. My hope is that our giving will increase uh, to support the strength of our ministry in this season of our life together. We will continue to communicate openly about our financial progress and any developments that we have as we move forward. Please keep our congregation, our leaders, and our shared mission in your prayers. If you have any questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. And thank you for tuning in to this week's broadcast. Today's first scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, and continuing on with verses 8 through 11. Listen for and hear the word of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Continuing on with verse eight, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge, 
that they are the people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. With my whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with the garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth forth its shoots, brings forth its shoots, and as the garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and 19 through 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. And this took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Thank you, George and Maggie, and really all our college students. Uh, I echo Tony. I believe this is our second year having uh, college students lead this service before Christmas. And yeah, I'm a little biased, but it's definitely becoming my favorite new tradition at First Pres as well. So thank you guys for coming and being in worship today. It's just so good to see familiar faces and just to have you guys back with us. We miss you a lot, and so we're grateful. Let us pray. Lord God, break open your word afresh to us this morning. I pray that you use this ancient story, these words, and this time together to convey your message and your purposes to us. May we be a different people as we encounter your word within us this morning. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, have you ever been caught without a flashlight? I have. Just a little over a year ago, Matt and I went on our honeymoon to Hawaii And while we did do the resort life for a couple of days, we're big nature people. And so we plan to backpack 22 miles along the Nepali coast of Kauai because we're crazy. (laughs) Not just because we choose to do such a strenuous activity, but also because we're planning not only our honeymoon, but also your rehearsal dinner, your wedding, you're moving into a new house. And then somehow we thought it's a great idea to tack on a multi-day wilderness trip on the other side of the country. But nonetheless, I felt like we did a pretty good job preparing for this trek. 
except for one key thing. It's day one of our hike, and of course, we're trailing behind schedule, arriving at a remote campsite just as the sun dipped below the horizon. And with dwindling light, I remember feeling all the stress with all the tasks of setting up camp and cooking and eating dinner and getting ready for bed all loomed before us. But not to worry, for we had brought and packed our trusty handy-dandy headlamps to help us for the night. Except those don't do much good when you don't pack charged batteries. So that's why one of the funnier moments of our honeymoon is Matt and I sitting alone in the middle of the remote jungle of Hawaii in pitch darkness trying to eat our dinner alone. It's a cherished and funny memory of mine, but it's also for me been a big reminder that you can have nearly everything you need in life, but if you don't have light or you can't see, then many things are ultimately of no use. On this third Sunday of Advent, we're focusing on light and we're focusing on the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, John the Baptist. As we heard from George just a moment ago, our second scripture reading today illustrates what I see as a lesser known preface to our Christmas story. This proclamation from John the Baptist, a man who scripture tells us is not the Messiah, not the prophet, not a light, but someone who has come to testify to the light so that all might believe. Now, before we can really understand what this means, I think we first need to understand who the Messiah is. And we're in luck because we're told just that in the verses immediately before today's passage. At the very beginning of Gospel of John, we're told that the Messiah was with God at the beginning of time and that from this Messiah, all things were made and in him was the light of humankind, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And from this, what I really want you to focus on is this light versus dark motif with light representing life and darkness representing death. And what we find in this text is that light and darkness are in conflict with one another. That yes, darkness exists, but light is invading that darkness. Many scholars also see this description of the Messiah as a callback to the creation story in Genesis, when at the beginning of time, there was a great void of darkness, but then God says, let there be light. And that light invades the darkness, and there's new creation and new life springs forth, and that same Messiah is our light, the light of humankind. Then boom, after this beautiful and magnanimous description were launched, somewhat abruptly I'll say, into the story of John the Baptist. Again, someone who's not this light, someone who's not this Messiah, but telling us that this long foretold light is finally coming very, very soon. Now that's some good news. And good news not just because of that beautiful description of who our Messiah is, but also because of the timeliness of these words. You see, John the Baptist's proclamation shatters what many biblical scholars call the 400 years of silence. Our Bible has a gap. The Old Testament ends with the words of the prophet Malachi, and then we get nothing for 400 years. History tells us that this is the Hellenistic period with the conquest of Alexander the Great and the Maccabean Revolt, yet our scripture is silent, 
Silent with no recorded prophetic message or writings from God, the people of God endured four centuries of waiting, quiet, and anticipation until finally the silence is broken with the declarative words of John the Baptist saying, make straight the way of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. The light of all humankind is near. What a beacon of hope to the people of his day. We also find another beacon of hope in our scripture, in our first scripture reading today, as Maggie read from the book of Isaiah, we hear the words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release the prisoners. Now, the people of Isaiah's time, they weren't necessarily in a season of 400 years of silence, but they were in a time period of deep political instability. With the looming threat of an Assyrian invasion, the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen, and the southern kingdom of Judah was now living under that shadow of Assyrian aggression. But yet here we find the prophet Isaiah declaring a beacon of hope. He too points to the light and declares that even amidst this season of uncertainty and turmoil, God will comfort those who mourn and God and the devastation of many generations will be repaired. You see, the shared element in today's text is a resounding expression of hope amid the most challenging circumstances. Today, we read of two moments in history when leaders and people groups alike find themselves in a season of wilderness, uncertainty, instability, and unrest. And rather than scorn the world and succumb to their dread, they testify, they witness, they proclaim, they declare that the light of life will invade the darkness and that good news is coming. When Tony shared at our staff retreat this past July that we'd be focusing on Advent hymns for this sermon series, I was thrilled. Uh, One lesser known fact about me is that I'm the son of two music ministers. So my mom's a youth and children's music director minister and my dad's a senior music minister. And so for the record, for all you musicians out there, I know how crazy Christmas Eve gets. I was raised in it. In fact, my traditional Christmas Eve meal growing up was not some beautiful family dinner table around some delicious roast, but instead it was a delicious gourmet creme de la creme Wendy's cheeseburger and fries, and it was good. Hastily eaten between Christmas Eve services, of course. Uh, Another fun byproduct of growing up as the son of two church musicians is that my taste in Christmas music is unfortunately not Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, but it's instead songs like Omanu Mysterium or Bach's Christmas Oratorio, you know, the nerdy Christmas music. But that's my style. But perhaps one of the most notable lessons I've learned growing up in a musical family is the transformative power that comes from singing and declaring messages of hope in the midst of hardship. Now, when your mom is the children and youth choir of your ch- choir director of your church, you grow up singing in the children and youth choir of your church. And so I'm in my youth choir growing up. It's senior year of high school. My youth choir was uh, selected to go on a tour to Washington, D.C. We were invited to join a national gathering of youth, church youth choirs to sing at the National Cathedral and accompanied by the National Symphony Orchestra. It was a big deal. But frankly, being my high school senior self, I remember feeling somewhat over the whole thing. 
Uh, I was counting down the days till I'd graduate. I'd rather just sightsee around DC. But surprisingly, what I remember most from my trip was not the historic architecture or hoping to get a glimpse of Barack Obama walking around the White House grounds, but it was in fact the spiritual experience I felt singing one of the songs in our concert. Again, this special concert was just not my own just youth group, but it was a gathering of 20 youth choirs from all over the country. And during one of our rehearsals for the big concert, it was shared with us that one of the songs we were singing was commissioned specifically for one of the church youth choirs from North Carolina. However, this was not a happy commissioning. We learned that this church was still reeling and recovering from a recent tragedy in their congregation. A church-membered family of four had been horrifically murdered after their father suffered a severe and extreme episode of mental illness. What does a community of faith do with something so tragic as that? The commissioned song we sang was titled, I Have Overcome the World. The lyrics drew from the words of Jesus that we find written later in the Gospel of John, specifically John 16:33, that states, in this world we will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Our choir premiered it in the National Cathedral alongside a thousand other youth, and it was a special and powerful moment. Obviously, I didn't know this North Carolina family or anyone from this church community, but I remember feeling such a deep sense of spiritual awe and wonder as I stood with this church in their grief, in their loss, in their uncertainty while also singing a song of truth, declaring a message of light, of life, and of healing. That's a memory I will cherish for a long time. Now, my experience here isn't necessarily something unique. It's been documented throughout history that humanity has used songs to proclaim hope in the face of adversity. We know that in the era of American slavery, enslaved people would sing spirituals like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, or Wading in the Water to proclaim hope and provide strength for those enduring such harsh injustices. Or fast forward to the civil rights movement of the mid-20th century, where we find protesters and activists rallying against our nation's segregated laws by singing, We Shall Overcome. Time and time again, songs have been used to do exactly what the author of Isaiah 61 and John the Baptist did, to proclaim and testify to the redeeming light of Christ even amidst the darkness. Friends, I don't know why there's darkness in this world. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I don't know why the southern kingdom of Israel lived under Assyrian invasion I don't know why there were 400 years of silence. But what I do know is that the light of Christ invades the darkness and that this light now lives inside each of us and also that same light will someday bring forth a new creation where there will be no more tears, no more suffering, and all things will be made new. Now that's some good news for us today. And what I think we can learn from the words of Isaiah and John the Baptist is that when we are in the midst of hardship, we can choose 
to cling to one another and to the truth that Christ's light exists and it overcomes the brokenness of this world. Our hymn of focus today is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It was written by Charles Wesley in 1744 as he looked on the plight of orphans in the areas around him and on the wide class divide present during his time in Great Britain. It is said that as he reeled from the horrors of his day, he thought to himself, come, thou long expected Jesus. And it's from this thought that he wrote the hymns, our hymns lyrics for today with the intent of commemorating both the nativity of Jesus and also a preparation and expectation for Christ coming again. Perhaps you might also say that Charles Wesley was acting as a beacon of light in the writing of this hymn. It's no surprise that we still live with darkness today. Many children still live as orphans. Class divisions still exist. Not to mention mass shootings, climate change, war, housing inequality, and so much more that we read in our daily news headlines. And so I have an invitation for us that together this morning, we may put the actions of John the Baptist and Isaiah 61 into practice. In a few moments, we're going to sing a slowed down version of our closing hymn for the day, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And my hope is that as we sing this hymn, we might really focus on what we're saying so that we may sing the words as our own declaration of hope over our hardship in our lives. As I close this sermon, I encourage each of you to think of something in your life that aches. Think of something in your life that brews darkness. And I want you to declare, declare Christ's light will overcome as we sing our final hymn. Maybe some of you have unfairly lost someone this year, and they won't be sitting at the Christmas dinner table. Let us sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Maybe some of you mourn the horrific and recent ongoing injustices in Israel and Palestine. Let us declare, come thou long expected Jesus. Maybe some of you are reeling from a tough semester or stressful season at work or at school or at home. Let us pray, come thou long expected Jesus. Maybe some of you feel deeply lost, alone, and not sure how to carry on this Christmas season. Let us hope, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fear and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Friends, in this Advent season, as the nights grow longer and the world can feel a little more dim, know that Christ's light invades the darkness. May we cling to this truth May we declare this truth and may we be a beacon of this light to all we meet. Amen.